today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. When Peter speaks of these guys bringing destructive heresies, they're bringing into the church anti or extra biblical teachings that draw the church away from the simplicity of that completed work of Christ on the cross. They draw the church away from the truth of God's grace coming to us through faith and not of ourselves. It's the gift of God. They draw the church away from the fullness of God's word. Those who preach and they teach otherwise, Peter continues this warning in verse 2. He says, and many will follow their destructive ways. In the book of 2 Peter, Peter sternly warns the church against falling for destructive heresies brought in by self-seeking men. In today's message, Pastor David points out that false teachers try to add to the finished work of the cross. Instead of teaching that we receive the gift of salvation by faith, these deceivers lead the people back into the bondage of works-based religion. Pastor David admonishes us to hold fast to Christ and the precious freedom he gave us, for we no longer have to work to earn salvation. It's a free gift from God. Now here's Pastor David with part two of his message, Heresies, Follow the Money, from the book of 2 Peter. He speaks about how they would come in, and literally they come in and they begin a whisper campaign. They don't announce themselves with a blast of a trumpet. They whisper in the corners, they go into the shadows, they go one by one, couple by couple, small group by small group. And I'll tell you right now, that's why a lot of churches hate having small groups. Oh, we've got all these small groups, and man, that's where all of our problems start. They get this Bible study going over here, and this guy suddenly takes off, and he's teaching this and this, and we've had to fix that and take that. This happens. That's the reality of the culture that we're in, but I don't believe it's just today. I believe that it's been happening since the birth of the church. They're not being honest with their beliefs They're not being, again, coming to the forefront with what they speak. No, they look for opportunity to draw others in. Jude tells us that these men have crept in unnoticed. Paul speaks in Galatians chapter 2 about the false brethren secretly brought in who come in by stealth to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. Paul also warned the Ephesian elders, you remember that, as he gathered the Ephesian elders there together on the shore as he was heading to Jerusalem. He says, you know what, your responsibility as an elder, as a leader within the church, is to care for, to guard over, take care of the flock of God. But beware, because false teachers are going to rise up. And then he looks at these men and he says, as a matter of fact, they're going to rise up among you. That's the danger that we see. That's why, man, 
you and I, all of us, we need to be grounded in this word. The next declaration that Peter makes here is, is they come and they even deny the Lord who bought them. Now, when we look at this and we look at the next statement, bringing on themselves swift destruction, we really need to kind of take those two together in order to be able to fully understand it. When you look at that phrase, the Lord who bought them, it has a connotation of salvation. The Lord who bought them. These must be saved men. But let's ask these questions. When you see things like that, you you ought to ask the question. Say, are these men actually saved? And if they were, did they then lead others away with this false teaching and thus they lost their salvation, bringing on themselves swift destruction? So exactly what does Peter mean by this phrase? Well, that's a good question. I'm glad you asked. I like the concept, I like the thought that's brought out by uh, Dr. Gangle. He's a former professor at Dallas Theological Seminary. He said there's a few different ways that you could look at this because it is kind of a difficult statement. These guys who were bought by the Lord and yet they're brought to swift destruction. Does it mean that they lost their salvation? Is that what he's saying? Well, Gangle says this, that you can look at it in four different ways. Number one, that they were saved, but they lost their salvation because they led others into destructive heresies. Uh, personally, I don't agree with that. I believe that there's too many other scriptures that speak about, again, not the, uh, the once saved, always saved kind of connotation, but the strength and the power of those who are truly born again, the keeping power of Almighty God in our lives. The second thing that Gangle brings out is when it says denying the Lord who bought them, that word bought means the creation portion, that the Lord created them, not that he saved them. And he says, but the problem with that is you're really stretching the meaning of that word bought completely out of the context. So again, that's not what Peter means here. The third point that he brings out is that the false prophets, they, they merely said that they were bought. They merely said that they were redeemed by Christ. And yet that's not really what Peter is saying here in this verse. The fourth point, and the point that I believe is the most correct, that they were redeemed in the sense that Christ paid the redemptive price for their salvation, but they never applied it to themselves, therefore they were never saved. Now, this is a doctrinal stand that that declares that Christ's death is sufficient for all, but it's only efficacious is the word, It's only effective for those that believe it, that receive it, okay? Now, again, we we see that doctrinal declaration throughout Scripture. Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. He says, for there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all, a ransom for all to be testified in due time. The writer of Hebrews declares a very similar thing in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9. He says, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. And then finally, John gives us in 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, he says, And he himself, speaking of Christ, 
And he himself is the propitiation, the full and complete total payment. He, is, he himself is the propitiation for our sins, but not for ours only, but also for the whole world. That Christ died for the sin of all mankind. But it's only effective to those who receive that payment by faith. And I, I understand that this is a totally different kind of understanding. As a matter of fact, it's a strong argument against the Calvinist doctrine of limited atonement. And if you know about that, that's fine. If you don't, that's fine. Anyway, primarily what they say is that Jesus died only for the elect and not for the whole world. And yet I read scripture after scripture after scripture that Christ died for the whole world in order that whosoever might call upon the name of the Lord would be saved. It's not a limited atonement. I believe that it's wide open for all those who would receive it. And these men, though their sin had been died for in Christ, they never received the forgiveness of their sin because they never received it in their life. Peter is speaking of those who came from within the church, men who were on on the outside of their lives. They may even have professed Christ, yet never on the inside were they possessed by Christ. Do you understand the difference in that? To make a verbal profession is not the same thing of having an internal possession of Christ. That's why Jesus says that in those days, many are going to come to me and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do this in your name? Didn't we do that? In your, didn't we minister in your name? Didn't we do miracles in your name? And what did Jesus say? He said, depart from me. I never knew you. And I believe that's where these men are. They come and they act church, but they're never really and truly a part of the body of Christ. And again, we see the same warning the apostle Paul in 1 John or the apostle John in his epistle 1 John chapter 2. In verse 18, he says, "Little children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that antichrist is coming, yet even now many antichrists have come by which we know that it is the last hour." And when he's speaking of many antichrists, he's speaking of these many false teachers that are coming into the church. In John says, they went out from us. He says, they're coming out of the church. But they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. Many of those who are proclaiming these false doctrines, these false teachers' teachings, have been in the church maybe for years and years and years. Maybe have been very active in the church for years. Maybe their parents and grandparents had truly been born again ministers of the gospel. And yet as they've grown up, they've seen a way to get great gain by the fleecing of the flock. Paul warns Titus about these false teachers and about their eternal standing. Paul writes in in the book of Titus, chapter 1, verse 15 and 16, he says, even their mind and their conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but in their works they deny him, being abominable, disobedient, disqualified, for every good works. That's why Peter tells us these false teachers are going to come from among you. 
They'll secretly bring in destructive heresies. They'll deny the Lord who brought them and bring on themselves swift destruction. We'll speak more about these destructive heresies as we get on into this chapter. But for now, please understand that this is much, much more than the issues that separate true Christians, Bible-believing, Christ-honoring, grace-preaching churches will have. We will have differences of opinion, differences of understandings in various doctrines. That's not what Peter is speaking about here. When Peter speaks of these guys bringing destructive heresies, they're bringing into the church anti- or extra-biblical teachings that draw the church away from the simplicity of that completed work of Christ on the cross. They draw the church away from the truth of God's grace coming to us through faith and not of ourselves. It's the gift of God. They draw the church away from the fullness of God's word. Those who preach and they teach otherwise, Peter continues this warning in verse 2. He says, and many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time, their judgment has not been idle, and their destruction does not slumber. Did you catch that? Many will follow their destructive ways. How in the world can people hear some of the doctrine and some of the teaching that's being pushed out today and fall into that stuff? Really and truly, if they backed up and and listened and looked at the overall view of some of these ministries and some of these teachings that are deceptive and deceit. Oh, listen, we'll we'll know that, listen, I I know that the doctrine of the LDS and, and Mormon, it's not from this word of God. I know that the doctrine of the Jehovah's Witness, it's not from this word of God. But there are other ministries that proclaim themselves to be Christian. They are moving among the Christian community and their teaching is far from the fullness and the purity of this word. How can we fall for these things? How can we be so deceived? I believe that most people follow these false teachings because they're not grounded in the truth, because they've not studied this word on their own, or they've not been in a Bible preaching and teaching church long enough to really grow and understand this is the truth. This is what the word of God declares. What you're saying just does not ring true to me. Some of you perhaps have had that situation in your own life. You might not have been able to go to verse and chapter and say, no, this is what it says. But you've had, again, just that, that gnawing of the Holy Spirit in your life as you've heard something and say, that, that doesn't ring true to me. I believe that's the work of the Holy Spirit, again, guarding our lives. Some, however... Even though they're grounded in the truth, even though they may know the word, sometimes they'll get pulled away from the truth. Sometimes by their own greed, by their own ego, or even by their own sin. Because they backed away from the truth of God's word. And they started looking and said, yeah, but they say I could have this in my life if I followed that teaching. Oh, but they said that this would take place in my life if I followed that teaching. And so though they know the truth, they allow themselves to be deceived because it tickles their ears. For some, they're going to look for an easy way of discipleship. They're going to look, yeah, wow, if I follow that teaching, then suddenly I'm not under all these other things. As a matter of fact, others are going to come along and they're going to promise great victory in your life if you'd simply follow after their brand of teaching. Just believe it and confess it and it's yours. Have you ever heard that kind of a thing? 
I believe that we hear it all the time. But you know what that is? That's a new age teaching. That you create your own reality. That's as new age as it gets. You are not a creator, by the way. Though you are created in the image of God, you are not a creator. God is the creator. Jesus Christ, the word says that all things were made by him and through him, that there was nothing made that was made that was not made by him. And so we come not to make our own creation, not to make our own reality, but we come and we surrender our life fully to the sovereign leading and direction of Almighty God. That's how we need to live. And when the new age comes in, they wrap itself with Christian slogans and ideas and suddenly we're pulled away from the truth and the purity of God's word. Maybe one of the reasons they're drawn into it is because they're charmed away from the truth simply because they fail to test. They fail to prove the statements of these teachings. Somebody with very, very enticing, they're very fascinating in their teaching style, in their presentation. I'll ask you like I asked someone last night after the service. Have you ever bought something and then the next day had buyer's remorse? Okay. Either it be a slick salesman that sells you something much bigger or more expensive than what you wanted, and then all of a sudden you get home and say, wow, why did I do that? Why? Because a salesman knew his stuff. And there are a lot that are simply enticed. They're drawn into this. Rather than as the Berean church, even when the apostle Paul spoke to them, he preached to them. And what does the word in Acts say? That the Bereans went home and they said, let's study the scriptures to see if what this man says is true or not. Church, you ought to be Bereans. You ought to be looking at this word. Even when I speak or anyone else from this pulpit speaks, I don't care what it is. You ought to be the kind of people that goes home and says, let's see if what he says is really true. We need to test that with the word of God. It can't be because of the the, the slick presentation. It can't be for any promising things. Beloved, it's got to be the word of God. And anything other than, more than or less than, the word of God will lead you off track. It's the warning that John again gives the church. In 1 John chapter 4, John writes, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Do you understand the importance of that? How book after book, letter after letter in your New Testament is warning the church about these false teachers. And yet we today in our culture, unfortunately, We are so filled with it that people are buying into it, hook, line, savings account, credit account, everything that they can. They're buying right into the lie. Back to Peter. Peter says in verse three, by covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. The English Standard Version says, in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. The New International Version puts it this way. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with stories that they made up. The idea is that in their greed, they'll do everything possible to make merchandise of you. That Greek word, exploit, it's a, it's a commercial word. It, it deals with to buy, to sell, or to trade. And that's what they desire to do. It's the idea that in their greed, they'll do everything possible to rip you off. That's the reasoning behind their efforts. 
And it's amazing how many of those who continue on in these deceptive words, these false doctrines, are so interested in the money factor. Peter says it's because of their greed, it's because of their covetousness, that money actually becomes a primary focus. The focus or, or even the test of your own faithfulness to their mission or to their ministry. Some of you might remember the, the movie from the late 70s, All the President's Men. Do you remember the phrase, follow the money? Follow the money. On many of these false teachings, all you need to do is follow the money. Paul tells Titus in chapter 1 of Titus in verse 10, he says, there are many insubordinate, both idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole households, teaching those things which they ought not for the sake of dishonest gain. It's sad to see so many lonely, so many broken-hearted so many people who have been damaged in the spirit, maybe even damaged by the church itself, so many unlearned, so many elderly, so many that are just plain foolish, that are being taken advantage of by these charlatans and by these creeps. And I did say creeps. In Jude, we read how these, they creep into the fellowship, and they are creeps. And they put a load and a weight on people's backs to support and to support and to support. Now, I say this, and I know at the same time this morning, I spoke about the radio ministry and the situation with that. Please, please understand, there is absolutely no expectation on that at all. This is up to the Lord. But there are those that would come and put a weight and a heavy load on the body of believers. And yet that's not what Jesus ever, ever intended. What were the words of Jesus? Do you remember? He says, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle and I'm lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And yet these false teachers do just the opposite. More often than not, placing a heavy burden on those that would follow. Or they lead them into a life that is so devoid of the Spirit of God that people get back into the bondage and the chains of their own sin once again. Peter goes on to say, and we close with this. He says these false teachers have a judgment that's waiting for them. There in verse 3, he says, For a long time their judgment has not been idle, and their destruction does not slumber. Well, we'll look next time again at this judgment. We'll see how Peter compares these false teachers to the sins of the fallen angels, to, again, the the, the wretchedness of humanity during Noah's time and the perversion of Sodom and Gomorrah. And then he goes on to speak about their judgment. The thing I want you to get out of this this morning more than anything else, when we trust in the fullness and the truth of God's word, nothing less and nothing more. No other gospel, no other message needs to be added. This word is strength. This word is power. And beloved, we need to know it. You need to know it so that you're not led into the deception of the enemy and led astray from the reality and the truth of the hope that comes to us through simple faith in Jesus Christ. Jane.
It's easy to overlook the smaller books of the New Testament, such as this short letter of 2 Peter. That's why it's so great to have a teaching like the one you heard today, where Pastor David was able to remind us of its importance and take us deeper into the meaning behind the words. If you want to keep studying through these audio messages, Pastor David is here to share with you how you can do that. Thanks, Chris. The Open Word has an archive of previous messages ready to be listened to, downloaded, and shared at theopenword.com. Simply click on the teachings link at the top of the page. You can also take the Open Word with you as you go by subscribing to our podcasts. This can be done through our website or by searching for The Open Word on iTunes. By subscribing, you'll have sound biblical teachings with you anytime and anywhere. Thanks, Pastor David. In his letter, the Apostle Peter spoke forcefully of the coming day of the Lord, where the earth will pass away and everything here will be gone. He gives us instruction on how we should live in light of this fact and encourages us to diligently pursue godliness. These teachings from so long ago are still practical lessons for living a godly life that we need to study and apply today. We hope you've been encouraged, but also challenged to go deeper in your walk with Christ. Thanks for tuning in today for Pastor David's message. Be sure to join us again to continue studying 2 Peter right here on The Open Word. Make us more.